Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, uh, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com uh, slash radiodetectives. Well, our listener support campaign continues, and I want to thank everyone who has given in support already. Um, and uh, during the rest of the year, uh, all donations of $7 or more receive access to our premium site. However, uh, during the listener support campaign, we give an additional thank you gift um, based on any donation of $20 or more. If you give at the $20 level, uh, we... Uh, one option we provide is a Kindle copy of my book, uh, What Made the Golden Age Shine. Uh, and uh, at the $50 level, uh, you can get a digital download of your choice of BBC Radio 4 radio dramas featuring Poirot or uh, Miss Marple. Uh, so go to support.greatdetectives.net to check out all the great options we have. Now it is time for today's episode of Mr. Moto. Uh, there was a lost episode between last week's show and this week's. Uh, and be sure to listen after the show as we'll announce our Tuesday programs, which will include the introduction of some new shows as well as saying hello again to some old friends. But here now is from October 13th, 1951, The Strange Elopement of Professor Sloan. This is Mr. Moto, Mr. I.A. Moto. Once again, NBC brings you Pulitzer Prize winner John P. Marquand's fabulous and mysterious Mr. Moto, international agent extraordinary, the inscrutable, crafty, and courageous little Oriental whose exploits have endeared him to millions of Americans in another adventure in the world of mystery and international intrigue. Tonight's story concerns the strange elopement of Professor Sloan, and stars Mr. Moto, Mr. I.A. Moto. I first learned of the disappearance of Professor Sloan from my chief, Captain Beresford, when I arrived in Washington in response to his urgent message. Well, here are the facts, Moto. He checked out of his laboratory at the Ellington Project last Friday evening, shortly after 6 o'clock. Yes? He picked up his car in the parking lot, drove away toward town. The attendant says he stopped at the corner where his assistant, Miss Martin, was waiting for a bus. Offered her a lift. She entered the car and they drove off together. 
And neither one of them has been seen since. Professor Sloan was one of the scientists working on the H-bomb, was he not, Captain? Professor Sloan is one of the top experts on the wave mechanics of the hydrogen atom. And his assistant? She's a former student of the professor's. And, well, there has been gossip about him and Miss Martin for some time. You see, Sloan's wife is an invalid. I see. However, Mrs. Sloan insists that there was nothing between him and his assistant. It doesn't seem likely that she would have tolerated Helen Martin in her home if there had been. Oh, Miss Martin resided with the Sloans? Yes, she occupied a room in their house. I take it there is considerable difference in age between the professor and Miss Martin? He is 55, she is 24. Still, May and November, it sometimes happens. Yes, uh, the professor's car, was that never located? Very much so. It was illegally parked on a street in Charleston. Ah. Our men went over it with a fine-tooth comb, but no clues. I have the complete dossier on the case here. I suggest you read it on the train on your way down there and then destroy it. Uh, yes, sir. We want no publicity as yet. After all, the professor may just have, well, eloped with this girl. Uh, quite so, Captain. Uh, but I cannot help thinking it would be a very, very strange elopement indeed. South Carolina is a tiny hamlet on the Savannah River. And not counting the military and civilian personnel of the H-bomb project, it has a population of less than a thousand. Professor Sloan's house was a pleasant, rambling mansion on the outskirts of the village overlooking the river. The door was opened by a uniformed nurse. Come in, Mr. Moto. Mrs. Sloan is expecting you. Oh, thank you. Right through here on the sun porch. Yes. She's sitting up in her wheelchair today. Oh, I am glad of that. I would not like to impose myself if she were too ill. This whole thing has upset her terribly. Try to make the interview just as brief as you can. Of course. Miss Doss, is that you? Yes, dear. Mr. Moto has arrived. Ring if you want me. Ah, oh, at last. Thank heaven they've put you on this case, Mr. Moto. Those other men, bunglers, all of them. Sit down. Sit down. Uh, thank you. You have a very beautiful place here, Mrs. Lawrence. I hate it. Oh, the view is very fine, but when I think of that lovely river being polluted with those horrible death-dealing atomic poisons, did you know it's not safe to eat the fish? I understood that was only a rumor. Well, I certainly wouldn't risk it. I'm sick enough without exposing myself to radioactivity. You see, I had pneumonia last year. Oh, but you didn't come here to listen to my troubles. What can I do to help, Mr. Moto? Uh, tell me something about your husband, Mrs. Sloan. He's a wonderful man. A brilliant man. The kind of man who wants nothing in life but to be let alone and do his work. He was not happy working on the H-bomb project? He hated it. We both hated it. Huh? When he was teaching at the university, we were happy. We had our little circle of friends on the faculty and we were free. Since he's been working on this horrible project, we've never known a moment's peace. Hounded, spied upon, not knowing whom to trust, afraid to speak for fear our words might be misinterpreted. You do not seem to be afraid to speak your mind to me, Mrs. Sloan. No, Mr. Moto. Because I feel sure that as an Oriental, you cannot help feeling a revulsion against the thing that maimed so many innocent people in Japan. Yes, atomic weapons are a very, very evil force. But in the world today, they are a very, very necessary force. So, 
You're like all the others. I might have known. That's why you want to find my husband, isn't it? So he can be put back to work on the business of destroying the world. I think your husband wants to be found, Mrs. Sloan. Why do you say that? When his car was found in Charleston, it was parked in front of a fire plug. If he placed it there, he must have wanted to draw attention to it as quickly as possible. Ah, but did he park it there? I think he did. Then you don't think he ran off with Helen Martin? No, not voluntarily. My husband is a very obstinate man, Mr. Moto. I've never known him to do a thing against his will. Uh, that is a useful thing to know. Uh, one other thing strikes me as contradictory in this case, Mrs. Sloan. If Helen lived in this house, why was she waiting for a bus when the professor drove out of the parking lot? Did she not usually ride home with him? Not always. We're not on the main highway here. If she was going into town, it would be several miles out of the way. Nevertheless, he stopped and picked her up. Well, he might have remembered he had an errand in town. Things like that often slipped his mind, and he would suddenly remember. But did he have an errand in town? Not for me, if that's what you mean. Why do you think your husband disappeared? Your guess is as good as mine, Mr. Moto. I only know that he did not like the work that he was doing and had every reason to want to run away from it. And Miss Martin? My husband is a brilliant man, Mr. Moto, and his work is important to the world. I only have a short time to live. He will have to go on when I am no longer here. Do I make myself clear? I am so sorry, Mrs. Sloan, so very, very sorry. Please, sympathy is the one thing that I cannot endure. Now I must ask you to leave me. Are you quite sure there is nothing else you want to tell me, Mrs. Sloan? I have told you everything. You see, after all, I am a weak, selfish woman. For the little time I have left, I, I would like to have my husband with me. I do want you to find him, Mr. Moto. I believe you, Mrs. Sloan. Thank you. And good day. Good day, Mr. Moto. Well, you did keep it short. Thanks, Mr. Moto. Miss Goff, what is the nature of Mrs. Sloan's illness? Pernicious anemia. Complicated by brandy. Ah, I thought I detected an odor. But she seems... You so haven't th been on one of her good days. She's a complete, hopeless alcoholic. I noticed an X-ray machine in the room. No, no, it's not cancer. The professor uses that for his hobby. Hobby? He collects diamonds. I think they use X-rays to detect flaws or something. Very curious hobby for a professor. Oh, they're not valuable diamonds, just the industrial type. Uh, what is your opinion about the professor's disappearance? I don't know. I think he may be suffering from amnesia. Uh, why do you think that, Miss Scott? Well, he'd been forgetful lately, more so than usual. Huh? Several times I woke in the night and heard the X-ray machine humming. Did Mrs. Sloan mention it? No. He'd gone to bed and forgotten to turn it off. When I mentioned it to him, he'd fly into a rage, deny he'd left it on. That wasn't like him. He knew he was absent-minded and used to joke about it. Now, how do you account for Miss Martin's disappearance? Understand, I'm not making any accusations, Mr. Moto. Of course. But Helen Martin spent a year in Moscow right after the war as an exchange student. Are you suggesting that she may have become indoctrinated while she was there? I know it. She was terribly against the professor working on the H-bomb project. But so was his wife. So she tells me was the professor himself. Not in the same way. Helen was very bitter about what she called a lack of free exchange of ideas between Russian scientists and ours. What I'm driving at is this, Mr. Moto. If the professor did have an attack of amnesia, Helen might have taken advantage of it. To get him away from the project and 
And heaven knows what else. Mr. Motto, I'm worried about him. Terribly worried. I, too, was worried about the professor's state, but not for precisely the same reason as Nurse Goss. My concern centered on the professor's curious hobby of collecting diamonds and the fact that the diamonds had disappeared along with the professor. As I started walking back toward Ellington, an automobile stopped beside me and a young man leaned out. Give you a lift, sir. Oh, thank you. I would appreciate that, young man. You're a new one, Tom. Working on the H-bomb project? Uh, no, just visiting. Friend of Professor Sloan? You know the professor? Oh, I knew his assistant, Helen Martin. Oh, you are employed on the project? No, strictly a local yokel. I run a jewelry store. Ah, that interests me. Well, I don't sell any Hope Diamonds, but people do get engaged and married, even in Ellington. <laughs> By the way, my name is Hal Lloyd, named after the comedian of the same name. Yeah, I am Mr. Moto. Mr. I.A. Moto. I thought so. Now, may I ask why? Well, when the professor disappeared, I figured they'd put you on the case. How well did you know Miss Martin? She was wearing an engagement ring I gave her. You seem very confident that the professor's absence is the case of disappearance. Well, everyone in town knows it. And even if they didn't, I'd have known something was wrong when Helen left without saying anything to me. You see, she had a dinner date with me that night. She never showed up for it. It seems you're in the jewelry business. Uh, did Professor Sloan ever discuss his collection of diamonds with you? You mean those chips he was using for his experiments? Well, I lent those to him. Did he say what the nature of the experiment was? Oh, something to do with fluorescence and photoelectric effect. Was he any more specific than that? No, but Helen was. It, uh, it seems that diamonds have the highest melting point of any substance containing hydrogen atoms. Yes, I am aware of that. But the type of diamonds he obtained from you contain metal impurities. If he hoped to obtain accurate results, he should have used the purest diamonds available. Maybe the government didn't want to go to the expense. I'm trying to doubt that. Well, Professor Sloan wasn't too well thought of by his colleagues on the project. He often complained of being shortchanged on materials and equipment in favor of other workers. And Mr. Lloyd, what do you think happened to Professor Sloan and your fiancé? What I really think? Yes. I think he went off his rocker, and Helen is tagging along with him wherever he went to try and keep him out of trouble. How long have you known Miss Martin? About six months. Did she tell you much about her life before she became the professor's assistant? You mean that year she spent in Moscow? That doesn't make her a red any more than those slant eyes of yours make you a samurai. <laughs> Your point is very well taken, Mr. Lloyd. Well, here's our main street, what there is of it. Where can I drop you? Uh, at the bus station, please. Leaving so soon? I have found out what I came here to find. <laughs> you work fast. By the way, I'm, I'm driving to Charleston. If you're going that way, I'd be glad to take you. May I ask what takes you to Charleston? Same reason you're going there, Mr. Moto. To look for a missing professor and a girl named Helen Martin. If Mr. Lloyd was a trustworthy person, there was no reason not to travel in his company. If he was not, it was best to have him where I could keep my eye on him. I did, however, part company with him for an hour after we reached Charleston. What I learned about Mr. Lloyd during that hour was very, very interesting indeed. 
in the six months he had known Helen Martin, he had mortgaged or sold everything he owned and borrowed on collateral and on his signature for amounts of cash totaling nearly three quarters of a million dollars. He had used the money to buy diamonds. Not the kind of diamonds usually sold in engagement rings, but defective, so-called yellow diamonds. When I emerged from the telegraph office with this information, Mr. Lloyd was sitting in his car in front of it. Tomorrow, I've been looking all over for you. You do not seem to have had much difficulty in finding me, Mr. Lloyd. I thought you'd probably be sending some wires to check up on me. You are very, very astute, Mr. Lloyd. Wait till I tell you. I think I've got a lead. Ah, so you have checked on the fishing boats, have you? Right. <laughs> a man and a girl, supposedly father and daughter, chartered a boat last Saturday morning. They went ashore at Cat K, and while the skipper was having a drink, they chartered another boat and sailed off from there. I would like to talk with that skipper, Mr. Lloyd. What's the matter, Mr. Moto? Don't you trust me? Frankie, I do not. I meant what I said. I was not surprised, however, to find that his account of the skipper's story checked in every particular. Obviously, he was as anxious as I to locate Professor Sloan. Though, for what motive, I was still not certain. He had already chartered a small plane to hasten the search, and at 1 p.m., we took off for Cat Cave. From there, we followed a tortuous trail from island to island until the trail ended at Porto Prince at a hotel called the Excelsior. The proprietor, a Romanian gentleman named Sefi Eminescu, was very, very affable, but not very, very helpful. They're staying one night only in separate rooms. Nice, quiet people. Then they're telling me that they've taken a house. They settle a bill and go away. No forwarding address. Well, so they were here, Mr. Moro. Uh, Mr. Eminescu, you are quite sure they were the man and woman in these photographs? Yes and no. <laughs> How can I say the man in the picture has a beard. The woman is more blunder than this and, uh, excuse me, more uh, sexier. If I squint my eyes, I say yes. If I do not deceive myself, I say no. She is what we call in my country a doll. And they said they were taking a house on this island? Darling, how should I know? <laughs> if they are remaining here, they are not walking the streets, or Seppi would have seen them. Uh, surely you must know what houses are available. Darling, what are you wanting with this copper? It is not I who want them, Mr. Eminescu. It is the United States government. Yeah, Mr. Moto is a secret agent. If you know what's good for you, you better talk. Please, Mr. Lloyd. Then you are a secret agent. Why, you don't say so, darling. Why did you lie to me before, Mr. Eminescu? They are on honeymoon. Honeymoon? Such lovebirds, darling. They are not wishing a disturbance from visitors. What's he talking about? The professor and the young lady are eloping secretly by reason that the professor's wife is not yet dead. I was reluctant to believe it, but when we arrived at the seaside cottage to which Fessy had directed us, we were admitted by a bronzed, vigorous-looking middle-aged man whose appearance had altered so radically that even Mr. Lloyd did not at first recognize him. Well, Lloyd, I can't honestly say I'm glad you found us, but since you have, I hope there won't be any ill feeling. Where's Helen? In the patio. Come along. She'll certainly be surprised to see you. Helen, dear, we have visitors. Ah. Helen, why did you have to come here? 
Now, now, don't be ungracious, my dear. Helen, this gentleman is, uh... I'm afraid I've forgotten the name, sir. A motor. Mr. I.A. Moto. Daddy. Yes, my dear, he's a federal agent. But no matter, we have nothing to conceal from him. I am so very, very happy to hear that, Professor Sloan. In that case, you will surely oblige me by telling me the whole story. Well, I'm pretty inarticulate when it comes to this sort of thing. Helen, perhaps you'd better... Oh, it's quite simple, Mr. Moto. Thaddeus and I have been in love with each other for a long time. But because of Mrs. Sloan's illness... And there were other reasons, too. Uh, please uh, be specific, Miss Martin. Well, I imagine you know how it is with faculty members of a small college. Even a breath of scandal... Yes, I am quite aware of that. Well, Mrs. Sloan had been told she didn't have much longer to live and had made it quite clear that her only concern was for the professor's future happiness. Since we wouldn't be hurting anyone, there didn't seem to be any reason... I mean... Didn't you realize that the professor's unexplained disappearance from a secret government project of a first importance was dangerous both to you and to the security of your country? But, Mr. Mauro, I... Stand up, please. All of you, I... Clasp your hands behind your necks and do not make any unnecessary movements. I did not expect you quite so soon, Mr. Eminence. Why do you think Sefi gave you the address, darling? It is a small island. You would have found them anyway. But this way, I have you all together. I warn you, one false movement I will shoot to kill. That goes even for you, Professor. Who are you? What do you want of us? We only want you, Professor. The others we will have to bury at sea. It's a joke. It's all some kind of a crazy joke. Isn't it, Mr. Moto? Yes. Not a very funny joke, but a joke, Miss Martin. You will see how Fefe jokes, Mr. Moto. You won't get away with this. Darling, do not waste any more time. The car is waiting in front of the house, and our ship sails with the tide. Ship? Where are you taking us? To Bucharest, darling. It is a filthy city, but we are most kind to scientists. A private villa all to yourselves, with indoor plumbing. Now, please to come forward, one at a time, and walk out of this door. And do not forget, darlings... Once out the door, there is not one but four guns on you. The gentlemen in the car are well armed. You first, Professor. Mr. Moto. You had better do as he says, Professor. Very well. Now, Mr. Moto. As I emerged from the patio... I saw that Feffy's threat was far from idle. Parked at the door of the house was a car containing four men, each with a carbine train directly on us. They got out of the car, and while two stood guard, the other two carefully searched us for weapons. Before the search was complete, I heard a gun fired behind me. The wounded man who stumbled out of the house door was Feffy. Go! Go, boys! Get out! It is all over! I believe he is, Mr. Lloyd. Let me look at him. I want to make sure. Yeah. Yeah, I fixed him all right. Professor Sloan, are you all right? Yes, my dear. The other sure took off in a hurry, didn't they? Yes, I was quite surprised. I wonder why. For the same reason that Mr. Eminescu preferred to bury the rest of us at sea rather than kill us on the spot. They did not wish to become involved with the island police. Oh, by the way, Mr. Lloyd, how did you manage it? I had a twenty-five caliber revolver strapped to my leg with adhesive tape. Indeed, a wise precaution. Where do we go from here, Mr. Moto? I think we had better get the professor aboard a plane and back to the States as quickly as possible. Next time, we may not be so lucky. Oh. 
assistance of the local government, we obtained special plane in a matter of minutes. And in less than three hours, we were back in Ellenden, South Carolina. When we arrived at the professor's house, both Mrs. Sloan and the nurse had retired for the night. The professor, too, was looking as though he needed to rest. I do not think we should disturb my wife. She has probably been given a sedative, and heaven knows she needs all the sleep she can get. Mr. Moto, I don't know how we can ever thank you. On the contrary, you have Mr. Lloyd to thank for everything. And may I compliment you on your quick thinking, Mr. Lloyd? Coming from you, that's a real compliment, Mr. Moto. However, I should like to know what you abstracted from Feffy's pocket when you leaned over him in your anxiety to make sure he was dead. Okay, you caught me. Here they are. How? Honest, Helen, I wouldn't have known he had the diamonds if one of them hadn't rolled out of his pocket when he fell. I would like to believe you, Mr. Lloyd, if only to clear Professor Sloan. But I don't understand. These diamonds, I was using them experimentally. How did that fellow get hold of them? We'd better tell him everything, Hal. I guess you're right. You see, Mr. Moto... The professor was experimenting with the diamonds in order to study the behavior of hydrocarbons at very high temperatures. And when Mr. Lloyd learned that a side effect of the atomic radiation was to turn cheap yellow diamonds into high-quality blue diamonds, he was very, very interested. How did you know that? I know that radium will destroy the impurities in diamonds. When I learned that you had invested heavily in yellow diamonds, Mr. Lloyd... I suspected that you might have learned another method of making expensive diamonds out of cheap ones through Miss Martin's knowledge of the professor's experiments with diamonds under atomic radiation. Helen had nothing to do with all this, Mr. Motor. You've got to believe that. I do not know what to believe, Mr. Lloyd. Okay. If that's the way you feel about it, try to prove that those diamonds are the ones I bought. Just try it. Mr. Lloyd was, of course, quite right. I could prove nothing. I accepted the professor's invitation to stay the night and retired to guest room. But I could not sleep. The puzzle of the professor's strange elopement was still not solved to my satisfaction, and I was still unable to form a link between that and the mystery of the diamonds. As I lay awake struggling with the problem, I became aware of curious humming noise rising through the floor from the room directly beneath me. I put on a robe and tiptoed down the stairs. Halfway down, I observed the figure of a young woman moving about the sun porch. She had rolled the x-ray machine over against the wall. I was standing directly behind her before she was aware of my presence. <gasps> Mr. Moto, you, you startled me. That is not surprising, Miss Gus. I, I woke up and, and heard a humming sound. The x-ray machine must be out of order. You would only have to unplug it from the electric outlet if that were the case, Miss Goff. Oh, oh, yes, of course. I must be half asleep. I never thought... You have been thinking very busily, Miss Goff, but unfortunately in the wrong manner. What... What do you mean? First, let us stop this machine. There. You see how easy it is? Miss Goff, I am not going to waste any words with you. You have your choice. Mrs. Sloan will probably die. Either you stand trial for her murder, or you take your chances with another charge. What do you want to do? How much do you know? You were employed as a nurse in this house when Mrs. Sloan was ill of pneumonia. Something happened that made it convenient to you that she remain ill. You achieved that by training x-rays through this wall to her bed in the next room. 
The effect of those rays was to make her a chronic invalid suffering from pernicious anemia. Why would I want to do a thing like that? Because of the diamonds. The professor never thought of the monetary significance of what he was doing. When he got a certain reading under X-rays, he recorded it and forgot about the diamonds. They weren't valuable. Ask Lloyd. On the contrary, they had become very valuable. So valuable that Mr. Lloyd could not put them on the market without exciting suspicion. You finally contacted a group of international criminals who agreed to market the diamonds for you. But for a price. You're crazy. That price was to deliver Professor Sloan behind the Iron Curtain. I... But Mr. Lloyd was not a traitor. He told Miss Martin the whole story. She decided on her own that it was necessary for the professor to disappear for a while. Since the professor was attracted to Miss Martin, it wasn't hard for her to talk him into an elopement. This... this might all be true. But you said I have a choice. Yes, Miss Goff. Would you rather be hanged for murder or treason? That's not much of a choice, Mr. Malto. No. But, as an eminent Japanese sage once said, he who has a choice has trouble. You have just heard the world's greatest secret agent, Mr. I.A. Moto, in the strange elopement of Professor Sloan. James Monks is starred as Mr. Moto. The script was written by Robert Tolman and directed by Arthur Hanna. Mr. Moto is produced by Doris Quinlan for Carol Irwin. Members of the cast were Julie Stevens, Florida Freebus, Mason Adams, Bill Smith, Frank Silvera, and Jean Gillespie. The music was transcribed, and this is Ray Barrett speaking. And now here with a preview of next week's story is Mr. I.A. Moto. Next week, a story of intrigue involving a band of smugglers, a faithless wife, and a very potent cocktail in The Case of the Dry Martini. serenity of an October evening brings sleep to your waking eyes, and bear you away upon a fragrance of night-blooming jasmine in the tranquility of a summer garden, reflected in the still pool of untroubled dreams. Good night.
Tonight's program came to you from our NBC studios in Radio City, New York. Ray Milland and Joan Fontaine star on Theater Guild tomorrow on NBC. Welcome back. Well, I loved uh, Noto, Moto's um, jab at the end. Uh, clearly disgusted with the uh, treacherous uh, person. Um, a, a definite uh, return to form, because I, I was thinking after the Schramm method and the crooked log, we were kind of... Uh, getting away from the whole, uh, the, the whole, uh, thing that made, uh, Moto distinct. But, uh, definitely a return. The one thing that I noticed in this episode that, uh, I really found humorous is Mr. Moto is a secret agent and everybody seems to know it. Uh, so it's not much of a secret. Now we are about to announce our, uh, planned, uh, New shows for uh, our uh, fifth season coming up. I should mention that during this listener support campaign, we will actually um, be um, presenting the John J. Malone stories uh, starting on September the 3rd. Those will carry us into the next season. But Sam had emailed me to ask uh, about uh, missing shows or how many episodes of Mr. Moto we had. And Sam writes, thanks. I find it heartbreaking to realize that when I saw a radio station throwing away thousands of records of OTR shows when I was a kid, that missing gems like the missing shows from this and other series could have been tucked away in that collection as it went into the landfill. The probability of new shows emerging today are pretty much wishful thinking. Um, I subscribe to many old-time radio podcasts and find yours to be the most informative. You clearly take... Uh, time with the project and enjoy what you're doing. I'm heartened to see you making new media projects and uh, generating uh, revenue with them. Well, thanks so much, Sam. Um, well, I, I do want to say that um, there are some shows that are um, emerging, uh, lost episodes, and those will actually be included in our um um, in, in our uh, program is when we get into the announcements. Uh, but I definitely feel, uh, I definitely feel you that it is a, uh, you know, it is a sad situation that there are uh, so many episodes that have been lost. Um, and so few of them are really cared for um, by uh, producers. What we have today is the result really of grassroots fans' efforts to preserve these programs. And there are some that I think that are in collections, um, but we will get on to that in a moment. All right, we have some additional listener comments, but I do want to just go ahead and list off the programs we will be bringing you next year. Now, as I mentioned, we'll be playing the Mr. Malone series. Uh, for the first part, uh, uh, it'll basically start this season and go into next season. Uh, then the series that we will run will include Mr. Chameleon, The Casebook of Gregory Hood, The Man from Homicide, and uh, Homicide O'Kane. And then I'm going to do something I have not done uh, the entire series yet, and we're going to repeat a series. This will be followed by Pat Novak for Hire. Now, the reason I'm uh, repeating Pat Novak for Hire... Now, the re there are two reasons I do this. On one hand, uh, I've had a lot of listener requests um, to repeat. Uh, that's not the main reason. The, 
the big reason, though, is I've always been fascinated by how the original listeners of Dragnet, that Pat Novak for Hire and Dragnet actually overlapped. There were a number of weeks where you would have um, Jack Webb playing uh, Pat Novak, you know, who was uh, constantly battling with a corrupt and incompetent uh, police force. And then also in the same week you could hear Jack Webb playing Joe Friday. Uh, uh, and I, I find that just such a, um interesting juxtaposition. So we're going to have that uh, juxtaposition of Dragnet and Pat Novak for Hire for four weeks. And then Pat Novak for Hire will be followed by Johnny Dollar, The Lost Episodes. The situation is that we've come across some... Uh, episodes of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, that uh, were not available when we played uh, some of the previous uh, dollars. Now, um, usually, um, I w- if it were the same actors, um, I would just go ahead and play the shows. However, uh, in this case, um, these were uh, actors prior to Bob Bailey. I don't want to wait till after we finish the Bailey shows, which will be four years away. So we're going to do these uh, programs. We have three episodes where we just have never played them before. Plus, we'll have one episode which we only had as a rehearsal, uh, but we'll be able to bring you uh, the network uh, version, which will be a much nicer one. So for four weeks, we'll have Johnny Dollar, The Lost Episodes. And we're also waiting till after we finish the uh, three days a week with the Johnny Dollar serials, because that would be uh, too much of a good thing. Then uh, we'll have Easy Money, which is one of my favorite series. And then the very last week of the season, we'll begin uh, Crime and Peter Chambers. Well, a very solid lineup. I hope you'll be listening. All right, uh, some listener questions about other series. Uh, Rebecca asks, uh, do you ever get any Perry Mason shows? Uh, the answer is no. Uh, Perry Mason shows during the uh, golden age of radio uh, were serialized in soap opera fashion. And basically, there's no complete uh, case story arc available. So uh, we'll not be able to do Perry Mason. Um and uh, Robert asks, can you not get the shadow shows? Uh, the answer to that one is also a negative. Uh, most of the shadow uh, wouldn't fit into the overall uh, theme of the great detectives of old-time radio. Really more horror and uh, adventure. And, uh, but more than that, that tends to be one where there's um, a copyright uh, claim uh, by uh, the owners of the shadow. I'm dubious about that, and I, I don't believe it is uh, particularly valid just because um, old-time uh, radio shows were never a part of copyright protection. Uh, in other countries, such as the U.K. and Australia, uh, it's basically part of their law that uh, broadcast prior to a certain date, 1957 in England, and 1969 in Australia uh, are not covered under copyright. But they, uh, there's more ambiguity for people to wiggle with. Um, and I, you know, I, I do my best to stay uh, ahead of that, which, you know, was one reason why 
Uh, I, I did not include any William Johnstone episodes of The Shadow as part of, uh, the, uh, the app extras. Cause I want to be sure that we're able to keep this show, you know, not, you know, running into difficulties or, uh, going, uh, dealing with lawsuits or with, um, the, uh, di- uh, issues around the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Rather, just bringing you some uh, the best quality shows we can. And then we have Doug, who says, Just found your podcast. Love it. Got to catch up. Well, thanks so much, Doug. A lot of people have uh, tried, and uh, several have been able to catch up. Um, and thanks so much for uh, commenting. All right. Well, that will do it for today. And I think we'll have a shorter after show, since we don't have nearly as new, many uh, new programs to announce. Uh, but join us back here tomorrow. We'll have some new uh, Wednesday programs uh, to talk about. And we'll also continue on with the Bennett Matter. In the meantime, send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and be sure and support the listener support campaign, support.greatdetectives.net. Your support definitely appreciated. Uh, but from Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.